This episode is brought to you by KPMG Risk Services. KPMG believes that when you've earned the trust of all your stakeholders, that's when your business has a solid platform to grow. That's the trusted imperative. KPMG Risk Services develop and put in place dynamic risk strategies designed to help your business earn that all-important trust. Go to read.kpmg.us slash trust to learn more. Hey, this is Randy Gage, and you're listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Resourceful Agent Radio Show. I'm your host, Andy Silvius. Today's guest is Randy Gage. Uh, Randy is a successful entrepreneur and New York Times bestselling author. A few of the books that he's written are Radical Rebirth, Mad Genius, and Risky is the New Safe. I also want to tell everyone this podcast is provided, was created to provide solutions and influence others in business, real estate, and personal development, bringing you real-world examples of how to achieve more. So, Thank you, Randy, for being here today. I really appreciate it. Hey, great to be on with you. Absolutely. So uh, before we dive in too far, you know, where are you currently located and, and where are you from originally? I was born and raised in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, at this moment in the winter, I am living in Miami. Uh, actually, I'm, in a little, I'm on a little island between Miami and Miami Beach. It's a big weather difference there from Wisconsin. A uh, big weather difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what drove me down here. Awesome. So why don't you tell a little bit uh, to everyone about what you do and how you got started? Well, I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm an entrepreneur who shares my work in a lot of public uh, arenas because I am an author, having written 14 books and a professional speaker having spoke to more than 2 million people across 50 plus different countries. Uh, So, and of course I'm blogging and podcasting and I'm a maniac on social media. So I'm, I'm out there trying to share the principles of prosperity and uh, you know, a, a lot of the people who follow my work are entrepreneurs, but you don't have to be an entrepreneur to get, something out of my books i i think it's because they're really about the general principles of how do we apply these prosperity principles in our lives on a day-to-day basis in a crazy world with political poison and divisiveness and social media toxicity and hysterical clickbait from the mainstream uh, from the media and the right. alternate media and, you know, so how do you, how do you stay focused and productive and moving forward? So that's what I try to concentrate on. Okay. Awesome. When did you realize that you wanted to work for yourself or become an entrepreneur in addition to helping other entrepreneurs achieve more? I think probably when I was like 20, I'd been an entrepreneur as a kid. I was the type who rake leaves, shovel snow, babysat, delivered newspapers, whatever I could to earn money. Because I was raised by a single mother who was bringing up three kids by herself and we were poor. Mm -hmm. And I hated being poor. 
right? You, you see those people on TV and they say, we were poor, but we didn't know it. There was so much love in our house. I watch that and I say, seriously? Yeah, you knew you were <laughs> you poor. You didn't huh? know you were poor? Because <laughs> I knew I was poor and I hated being poor. Yeah. Uh, but then I kind of, what am I going to do? I, I, you know, poor mother, nobody in my family had ever gone to college. Uh, you grew up and you worked in the, the General Motors factories, which you did in Wisconsin. So I started washing dishes as a, at a pancake house and became a cook and then a waiter and then a, a manager trainee and then an assistant manager. And then I made it to manager. And I got to wear a tie and I had a really impressive ring of keys that I carried around. And, you know, I thought, wow, I've, I've made it. I'm the most successful person my family has ever seen. Uh, and then I realized, wow, you know, I got waiters and waitresses who make more than I do because they get paid by the hour and they, you know, with tips, yeah. they get their base salary plus tips. And I'm just got a straight salary and they work 40 hours and they go home and enjoy their life. And I'm working 80 hours a week. And so I realized, you know, maybe the American dream is not getting promoted to restaurant manager. Maybe the American dream is owning your own business. And so that was my first venture out as an adult with that and realizing, okay, yeah, I need, I need to be an entrepreneur. You know, it's funny too. I've had so many different uh, self-employed people, entrepreneurs, business owners on here. And, and um, for the most part, everyone has that hustle inside of them, right? Like there's never, um, it usually stems from their childhood when something didn't go well or whatever. And that's what kind of drove them into that position and just having the freedom. It kind of leads into my next question, which is I've, I ask everybody this question. I'm super fascinated by different answers, but what do you think drives entrepreneurs emotionally to do what they do? I don't know if there's one answer for that because there are people that become entrepreneurs like me because they're running away from a reality that they dislike or even hate. Mm -hmm. And then there's entrepreneurs who are running toward a vision of something they would like to manifest. Um, and I don't, so I don't know that there's always that commonality, but I guess what would be the same between the two groups is both of them do have a, a vision or an outcome in front of them that they would like to get to that they believe they're worthy of and deserve deserving of, and they're willing to do that work to get there. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily buy into the, you know, Hey, keep your head below the cubicle, keep your head down, get through the week, you know, get through 40 years and then you can retire on social security. And yeah. The, uh, uh, the American dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think there is a, I think entrepreneurs see the world through a bigger window than people who are not entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that makes us inherently better, right? My mother is not an entrepreneur. She was never an entrepreneur, right? So 
I would call her every week and for probably the first 30 years of my life, you know, I would call her and some point in the call, she would say, have you given any thought about getting a real job? Because she really couldn't understand that somebody wouldn't want the security of a paycheck every Friday because that's in the world and the consciousness that she grew up in. That's what security meant. If you were working for yourself, it means you were vulnerable. At any point, you would be a bum sleeping under the bridge because you didn't have a paycheck guaranteed on Friday. And back in those days, you know, obviously I'm an old guy. My mother is older than I am. Uh, and in those days, that was kind of the perception that you did want to get a job at General Motors because you were going to work there for 40 years and then you were going to get a gold watch and you were going to retire. And it was only later that all of a sudden GM was laying off 80,000 people or 40,000 people at a, at a whack. And people came to understand, wow, may, maybe that, that company that says they're going to give me a paycheck every Friday is not really that secure because there were so many companies that the job didn't get permanent. And somebody listening now, you know, like a millennial watching or listening to this now must be like, what are they talking about? Of course, you don't keep a job for 40 years. You know, it's everybody has 15 jobs in the course of their life or 25 jobs in the course of their life. That may be a belief today, but it wasn't a belief at the time I grew up. Right. A belief was, you know, you go to school, get your high school diploma, get a job. You know, if you were really came from a rich family or something, then maybe you went to college and you were going to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, a really good corporate job. But for most of us, it was get your diploma from high school and get a job at a factory or a restaurant or a bar or a bowling alley and try to keep it your whole life. Right. The other thing I was going to ask too, so you grew up in a household where your mother believed that you should have one job, right? And just live the traditional linear lifestyle that everybody else was living. It's pretty common for that time. Was it a challenge for you to have someone that close in your life and be wanting to pursue something completely different than what she thought was the right direction? Yes, it was a, it was not pretty my teen years. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then to really keep it interesting, I was a teenage alcoholic, a teenage drug addict. Uh, I went to jail for armed robbery and burglary at 15 years old. Um, so my poor mother is like, <laughs> what could she possibly do? Right. And you know, fortunately, there were people who believed in me. There was a public defender who got me, you know, on probation. So I got another chance. But I still was this wild stallion who just said, you know, I don't, you know, and my mother said, you, you're going to live in this house. These are the rules. And I was like, well, so I don't want to live in this house. I'll go live by myself. Mm -hmm. And so she thought, what does this kid know? He'll find out what the real world is like. So I literally moved out of the house when I was 15 years old. And, you know, then you, you kind of learn that, okay, if you don't pay the rent, the 
landlord just puts an eviction notice on the door and you don't pay the electric bill, they just shut off the power. So I learned some really hard lessons, but of course those were wonderful lessons yeah. because I learned about that actions have consequences, that we have to be responsible for our behavior and that there is a price to pay and that we have to take care of ourselves because there is no guarantee. So it was really, uh, and now of course, my mother is uh, my best friend, right? And I love the relationship I have with her and I'm so grateful for what she did uh, to raise us. And I'm horrified at the, <laughs> the poor things I put her through, you know, the many things the poor woman had to go through. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Let's dive into fear a little bit too, because when you were going through those transitions of moving out and learning these hard lessons, right? And you probably have a pretty strong personality. I know that I'm pretty hard-headed and that's, I always learn the hard way um, to, to learn my lesson on things. But were you ever afraid of anything bad happening or was it more of just, um, you know, when you're 15, you probably don't take it as seriously. But having, but like going through being self-employed, moving out on your own, doing the things without any direction, were you ever afraid of it? Never. I don't think I had an ounce of fear because, you know, when you're 15, 16, 17, you know everything about everything. Mm -hmm. You know why your parents are stupid. You know why the president is stupid. You know why all the people on TV are stupid. Yeah. All the people who write the newspapers are stupid. And you realize if the world would just ask you, you could tell them exactly how to run the universe. <laughs> so you know how to, and you don't think you're ever going to die, right? Mm -hmm. You know, car accidents and tumors and that stuff happens to other people when right. you're a young person, you know that that can't possibly happen to you. And because of the arrogance we have as youth. So, I mean, I look back at it now and say these places that I was robbing, if, if the cashier would have had a gun behind the counter, if the, I, I mean, the the cars I wrecked and the drugs I could have OD'd on and the crack houses that I did drug deals in, I look back and say, my God, that is insane. How did I live? How did I, how am I still alive, right? But when you're young and stupid, you don't, you don't have any fear of that stuff. So as you got to be an adult and you've experienced, you, you've, you've done different things, writing books, being an entrepreneur, involved in many business ventures, I'm sure. Did you have fear in any of those? And, and the reason I'm at, I'll, I'll follow up really quick too. The reason I'm asking is I, I'm always fascinated by people who stay in jobs, careers, lifestyle path that they're miserable in, but they're always too afraid to take that next step into the unknown. So, yeah. yeah, for sure. I had fear because now it's not just about you. You have employees. Mm -hmm. You, you know, I, I remember uh, a, uh, I was working still running a restaurant uh, for a chain. And one of the uh, um, waitresses who worked for me, her 
boyfriend said, hey, you know, there's a beauty salon getting sold down the street. And uh, I'm telling you, all these old women come in every day and with the blue haired women, they get their wash and set for seven bucks a piece. And there's a hundred a day and it's a great business. And my mother could run the shop and we should go in and buy it. And so I was like, wow, yeah, why not? So, you know, we, we, we bought this hairstyling salon, which we knew nothing about. And my partner was a pretty lazy person and who really had figured out a way to get his mother a job. Mm-hmm. And she was a terror to run the place and <laughs> dr- driving off all the stylists <laughs> And, um, and we didn't have enough money. We were trying to bootstrap it. And so it was like, when you have a hairstyling salon, it's similar to restaurants and, and clubs. You know, you do 50 or 75% of your week sales on Friday and Saturday, mm-hmm. right? That's when everybody, you know, the women are getting their hair done for the weekend. And so Friday was payday. And I, you know, every week we would give everybody their paycheck and say now, okay, here's your paycheck, but you can't take it to the bank because there's not enough money to cover this check. You know, if if you need the money today, you got to go to a supermarket or a liquor store and get your check or check cashing place and get your check cash there because then it won't hit our bank till Monday and we'll have the Friday and Saturday deposit in there. Right. And we did that every weeks for every week for months. Right. And a lot of entrepreneurs have been in that place, right? If, you know, the, the legendary stories of, of people, you know, getting their payroll, you know, the, going to Vegas and taking a shot to get enough money to cover their payroll. You know, Elon Musk equates it to, you know, staring into the abyss, chewing glass or chewing gravel <laughs> or something. Uh, so, yeah, you, you, when you start to realize, okay, it's not just about me. I've got seven or 17 or 1700 employees that are counting on me and they have house payments and car payments and doctor bills and kids that they want to send to college. Um, You grow up real fast and you, you do get, you can have fear because you realize, yeah, there is no guarantees here. Right. Kind of keeps your back against the wall too. You know, it doesn't give you any, any room to slack off because if you do, you won't pay them. You won't have any payroll. Yeah. It's a, it's not for everybody. We, we, there's too much romanticizing of uh, entrepreneurship right now. Everybody Mm -hmm. thinks that, okay, I'm 18 and now I can be a life coach and an Instagram influencer and uh, I'm an, you know, and I'm an entrepreneur and that's, it's not for everybody. Right. And we've romanticized it too much. I love it. And I encourage anyone who's up for it to try it. But uh, one of the things that I've worked on that where I've kind of changed my viewpoint is I've stopped trying to convert employee mentality people to entrepreneur mentality um i always said well if you want to be rich you got to work for yourself if you want to be wealthy you got to be an entrepreneur uh 
my opinion on that really has evolved. Now I'm like, no, you know what? If you're a great employee and that's where you're comfortable, then be a great employee and I'll show you how to take the money that you make as an employee and leverage it so mm -hmm. you can grow your wealth. And I would say for, for anybody watching this or listening, um, I, uh, on my blog, randygage.com, uh, I wrote a, a series of three articles about getting the money thing out of the way, whether you're an entrepreneur or an employee. Uh, so search the blog and it's called, the title of it is Beat Your Burn Rate. You know, as entrepreneurs, we always talk about a burn rate, which is, you know, okay, what's your burn rate? How long of a runway do you have? You know, burn rate being the amount of money that it takes you to run the business every, every month. But I just apply it the same way for a, a, on the personal finance, right? You've got a burn rate. You've got your your rent or your mortgage, you got your car payment, the amount you need for groceries and medical bills and whatever. Well, the goal is you need to live on less than what you earn. You've got to take the difference in that and you've got to leverage it or invest it in a way that can grow your wealth. And so just to be clear, I'm not a financial planner. I'm not an accountant. I'm a high school dropout, right? So I don't claim to have any credentials I'm a high school dropout who became wealthy and I share my thoughts in my blog and my podcast on the philosophy of how you build your net worth. Yeah. And so that'd be a good read for anybody who's interested in that beat your burn rate on my blog and then realize, yeah, you may be an entrepreneur personality. You may be an employee personality. Either way is great. I love that you brought up the, building wealth. So I've always felt very strongly about people not, I think in a position of being an employee where, where I think of it in a negative is being vulnerable to having one job. You're reliant on that one company, one boss, but if anything happens, it can completely crumble apart. So I love that you touched on creating wealth because I think even if you were to become an entrepreneur, do whatever you do and you make a ton of money, if your mindset's not right, it doesn't matter how much money you'll make, you'll be broke. Yeah. And I know you got a lot of real estate agents that listen to this because of the nature of the title and, and your guests mm -hmm. that you've had and real estate. All right. You're an entrepreneur. If you're a real estate agent, you're an entrepreneur and you wake up every day unemployed. Yeah. Okay. So let's be real. There is, you know, as an entrepreneur, great. It's sexy. You're an entrepreneur. You control your own destiny. You don't have a boss if you're your own agency, right? But if you don't sell a house this week, you don't get paid this week. That's mm -hmm. the way that works. So it is, you know, there there is a balance. There's an upside and a downside. And the smart move either way, whether you're an entrepreneur or an employee, is investing in your net worth, creating uh, creating options so that if all of a sudden there's some crazy coronavirus that becomes a worldwide pandemic and people are going into quarantines and lockdowns and there's economic uncertainty all over the place, you'll have some money working for you and you'll still be able to take care of yourself. You'd be surprised. You may not be surprised, but other people may be surprised just how many people who are in real estate, right, who make a good amount of money, 
own nothing but liabilities. I think my mindset changed too, and I don't mean to plug anyone else's book in the middle of our podcast, but Robert Kiyosaki, I've always followed his, you know, rich dad, poor dad model and the, um, uh, the financial IQ stuff he talks about, but I don't think people realize just how much money they invest into their liabilities too. Um, buying cars, buying th- things that don't pay you back, but always takes cash out of your pocket. I know we're not really going deep into the finance part, but I, th- I think it's important for people to realize too, until they have their mindset right, it, it just really doesn't matter how much money you make. And I've heard yeah, stories Every of- time you buy something on credit like that, you have adopted an alligator. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feed the alligator, the alligator is going to eat you. <laughs> yeah, That's the way that works. Even your house. I mean, even yeah. your house can be a liability if you, if you, if that's the one single largest investment you ever make, it will never pay you back. You, no, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I, what I'm encouraging people to do is get debt free as quickly as you can. And by debt free, I mean your house, your car, everything that you purchased it with cash. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when did you start writing books? Um, you know, have you always been an author? And, and then what prompted you to start writing these books? Uh, I was working, in, doing seminars. I was a professional speaker doing workshops in direct selling, training people. Mm-hmm. And when you're a speaker, everybody says, well, do you have a book? You know, you should write a book. Is there a book with all of your secrets to your system in one thing? And so that's, I think it was... 1991 or maybe 19 no 1996 I think I wrote a book for direct selling and um, so that was my first one and then uh, later I started I wrote a five book series on prosperity and my books kind of evolved as my my involvement went Mm -hmm. and I you know had started in marketing and sales and then really got more enticed by the big picture principles of prosperity and uh, success as opposed to just uh, marketing or sales. Right. So you're big in the, you know, mindset, personal development space, you know, do you have a morning routine or do you do anything that we could give listeners an example of that might help them start getting on the right track if maybe they feel a little bit lost or not accomplishing the things that they want to accomplish? Yeah, I have routines for my routines. Yeah, (laughs) I'm totally all about that. I'm definitely a creature of habit. uh, And I believe in routines, not to enslave me, but to give me freedom. You know, discipline produces freedom. I firmly uh, live by that mantra. Uh, So I wake up early Uh, And I go downstairs and I do cardio. So for me, it's usually treadmill or elliptical or stationary bicycle. Um, Just because I have a lot of, uh, I've had four spine issues. So it's, I can't really go outside and just jog outside. It's too hard on my back. So I'm using machines as a rule. Uh, And then I'm listening to positive self-development during my cardio. So Mm -hmm. usually podcasts, uh, things like that. And uh, so I do that for 20 minutes. Uh, So I walk down 10 flights to the gym 
I do 20 minutes cardio. I walk up 10 flights back to my apartment. Uh, then I mix up my morning protein shake with my, you know, bioavailable protein and all of the, <laughs> you know, vitamins and minerals and supplements that I take. Uh, and then I do still a little more personal development time, usually reading. Uh, and then I start my day, which is check my email for anything that came in overnight that was, you know, a business in different areas of the world. And sometimes there might be something I need to check. Is there some urgent thing happening in Australia or Russia or somewhere that I need to deal with because I have clients there? Uh, and then I usually write in the mornings. So I write until break, then I have lunch, uh, then I uh, write or that, then I'll kind of answer emails or busy work, things like that. I go back down to the gym and I do strength training. Uh, and then I come back and finish up my work. I try to, I like to finish by six or seven at night and then unplug phone stays here, laptop stays here, I'm done. And, uh, you know, enjoy my life with the real people in the real world, mm -hmm. and then repeat it the next morning. <laughs> um, you know, I had a question for you that I just I just lost. But uh, what okay. I wanted, huh? That's okay. They come, <laughs> they go, they yeah. come back. <laughs> what I did want to get in with you on is if you could explain how discipline creates freedom. And, and I follow this. I'm very much um, a routine person as well. And I, I realize how much more I can get done in the day when I am disciplined. But I wanted your take on, on just how being disciplined creates that freedom. I hate cardio. You know, some people say, oh, yeah, you get that runner's high. You get, uh, I don't get any of that. I hate doing the treadmill. I hate doing the elliptical. I hate doing the stationary bike, but mm -hmm. I do it because I hate that less than I hate being overweight. When I'm overweight, I got no energy. When I'm overweight, I can't play softball very good. So I like to be healthy, right? So, um, and why do I want to be healthy? Because I play softball on Sundays and I want to be perform at the highest possible level I can. I don't, you know, when I, play softball, I like to win. So I don't like to lose. So if that means I should go to the batting cages and keep my timing down, so I'm hitting good, that's discipline. Discipline gives me freedom. So when I'm in the batter's box, I don't have to think about my mechanics. I don't have to think about, am I prepared? I don't have to say, what is this pitcher? What is, is he going to quick? I don't care. I see ball, hit ball, right? <laughs> I've, I've done my cardio. I've done my stretching. I've done my weight resistance training. So I'm in shape and I'm yeah. ready for the game. Right. So, but it's discipline. Right. So I create rules for myself. Right. So I mentioned, I'm in, I live in the penthouse. The gym is on the fifth floor. So that's 10 levels down. So I might wake up and I just don't want to do cardio. So I have a rule. I get up, I put on my shoes and I go down 10 flights to the gym. Mm -hmm. And if I get there and by the time I'm there, if I don't want to do cardio, I have permission to turn around and come back up. Yeah. And, but cause I know that once I'm down there, I'm going to say, well, I'm, 
I'm here anyway. Right. I might as well get this cardio done. I need it, you know. Uh, I have a scale and I weigh myself every day to make sure, you know, and I know what an ideal weight for me is. And I know when I'm over my ideal weight, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'm already three pounds over my weight, you know? So maybe, no, I'm not going to go to five guys, burgers and fries and get a strawberry milkshake and a burger and French fries. I'm going to eat a grilled chicken breast and brown rice and black beans, you know? So uh, I, you know, that you only get freedom if you have self-discipline Yeah. because the person who just says, okay, I'm going to wake up whenever I want and do whatever I want and eat whatever I want and go wherever I want. They will find themselves in a prison really quickly, a prison of either poor health that they can't do it, a prison of not have any money. So they don't have the choices of freedom or, you know what I mean? Some kind of self-created prison. I think too, when you don't have the discipline to take care of yourself, um, your physical body and your mental body, like your financial, it'll show up in your finances too. I mean, it, sure. bleed, it bleeds through the rest of your, your life. Yeah. So think about, you know, I learned this firsthand because what do you think you eat when you leave the house at 15 years old? And there's no parents there. There's no boss there. There's nobody who tells you what you have to eat. You yeah. eat nothing but cake and cookies and candy and pizza. Yeah. I survived on pizza for 10 years of, you know, pizza two, three times a day. And, right. you know, McDonald's and Kentucky fried chicken and junk food and I drank uh, 10 cups of coffee a day, six or eight cans of soda a day, two or three candy bars a day. And that's really, I, 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 when I was about 30 years old, I had my business seized by the tax authorities and they auctioned it off for non-payment of taxes. And to this day, I still believe the reason I lost that business, even though there was, I, I could do a lot of reasons and we had bootstrapped it and we didn't have enough money and all, but ultimately I felt I lost that business because I was so sick and weak and tired and couldn't think clearly. And, you know, you, you, you eat all that garbage. It just, it feeds all the bad bacteria in your gut and creates what you know they call candida or candidiasis where you're just your brain is foggy all the time you have mm -hmm. no energy you could sleep for 12 hours and you still feel like you're exhausted and that's what i was like and so losing the restaurant was kind of the wake-up call for me and i realized man if i the only if i could just get my body to keep up with my mind I am going to be so successful, so rich. I, you know, I remember telling myself that. And so then I really did get, and then throw in the drugs and the alcohol and all the sure. other stuff. You know what I mean? That really Just, adds the fog to it. Oh my God. So really, you know, so I realized, no, if I really ever want to be successful, I've got to become healthy. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I learned that really uh implicitly <laughs> yeah 
I, I want to take a step back too. So your morning routines, as I remember the question I was going to ask you earlier, I've heard a lot of people say this and I started trying to do it myself and not always successful with it, but are you intentional about not answering emails, text messages, or, or checking social media on your phone until you're done with the important things you need to get done for the day? Yeah, there is actually, oh, see if I can remember the name cycles. There's a, a, a cycle that your mind goes through in terms of concentration that shows you can really concentrate for about 50 minutes. And then after 50 minutes, you're going to be distracted. So for me, I'll be that way where, because I'm writing is my most of my creative work where I really need concentration. I'm writing blogs and I'm writing books and I'm writing stuff for clients. So I just know that after about 50 minutes, okay, good. That's a time I can go check email for five minutes or check Twitter for five minutes or get up and go get another bottle of water and, you know, walk out on the balcony and breathe some fresh air or something and then come back and I could be more focused. Mm -hmm. So I usually uh, do that viridian cycles, something that mean, anyway, there's just, you know, you go through different states, alpha state, beta state, theta state, right? Where, and there's a, 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 a cycle about concentration. And I've just learned sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm just jamming. I'm in the middle of a book chapter and it's like a 5,000 word chapter. And I'm just communing with the universe and right. I work for two, right for two hours straight. But most of the time, you don't get that. You're, you need a distraction. So I time my distractions in a productive way. Okay. That's but a yeah, really good way to think about it. You can't drop, you know, if you want to work on a creative project and you're going to jump every time the email bell goes off or the text thing on your phone, you'll never be productive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it creates uh, endless distractions one after another. And it's hard to fight it. I mean, they, they build these phones, you know, they build these things to, to continue to distract you all the time. I mean, we, I don't know if you ever saw that documentary that was on Netflix, but they talk about how they created notifications because if you're not checking your phone after a certain amount of time, it actually knows to start giving you notifications yes. for stuff. Absolutely. The social and dilemma. That social dilemma. That it was a social it was dilemma. Awesome. Uh, uh, must, documentary. must watch for everybody listening to this must watch that. Yeah, but it's, it's, and, and I'm like sacrilegious to people because I don't take my phone to the opera. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need your phone at church. I don't think you need your phone to go to the movies. And I get now, I mean, it's turned into, it's no longer a phone. It's now the social media and the, it's the people's timers life and the app. And now, and it's to the point now, it's like, you know, I have a chiropractor I go to in South Beach and I, it's like a parking lot and I just showed up one day and now the meters weren't there anymore. It's only by app on your phone. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be an issue at some point, you know, like this pandemic is going to end at some point, right? And my mother, who's going to be 85 and has spent the last eight months basically locked in her house She's going to have to go out. She's going to get to go out in the world again. Right. She doesn't even have a cell phone. So like, what does she do when she 
goes to the doctor and the only way to pay for your parking space is with a mobile app, right? Where mm -hmm. the universe is kind of forcing us to have to take a phone everywhere. Um, but I've really fought that. I just feel like, no, why would I take my phone to a social thing like that? Um, and people just like, are you crazy? What would happen? You know, and I'm like, you, you, you have an eight-year-old daughter and you have her take a cell phone to school? Right. Are you crazy? Yeah. I'm like, are you crazy? What would happen if there was a school shooter? She's, and I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I think civilization worked for like 5,000 years before there was cell phones. And yeah. we still found ways to, but you know, if you suggest that to somebody today, they'd look at you like you're eating spiders or something, right? Yeah. But, so I get that and I'm like, okay, if I want to, I'll take my phone and then I'll take a picture of us at the restaurant and put it on Instagram and my followers will be excited because they want to see who I'm eating dinner with. Okay, I get that's the game. It's how it's played. But I also get that I can turn the phone off mm -hmm. during dinner and actually have a conversation with the people I'm with without checking my phone. It doesn't control you, where I think a lot of people allow the device to control them. Uh, it comes back to discipline, right? They're not disciplined enough to to recognize what it's doing, and they just let it run their lives. There was, I think it's Dr. Joe Dispenza also. He talks about, I'm pretty sure it's him. I could be wrong, but um, talking about how it's linked to like happiness, depression, and different social issues. You know, when people wake up first thing in the morning and they have to open up Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever social media platform they're on um, subconsciously, you know, they start kind of breaking themselves down because they see what these other people are doing and they, they almost hold themselves saying that they're not good enough compared to the other person they're looking at. So when you start your day out like that, it usually sets your day up in a negative direction for the rest of the day, even if you don't realize it. So for just, sure I, the, to me, I, I said for months now that, the single number one best tip I can ever give you for prosperity is don't charge your phone wherever you sleep. Mm -hmm. Because if you're sending one last Facebook post before you go to sleep and then you're waking up to whatever the breaking news alert is, you're just guaranteeing yourself a, a life of chaos and distraction and hecticness and you know i charge my this is my office here uh, you know i work from home but this is my office that's where my phone is charged and i you, you have to sleep in a room different than where you're charging your phone you do not want the last thing before you go to bed at night to be your phone and the first thing when you wake up to be your phone yeah yeah absolutely well, hey, we're about to get wrapped up here, but I do want to ask you, do you have any you know, tips or suggestions for people listening to this who uh, maybe they're unhappy with what they're doing, unhappy in life, whether it's career, personal, um, what would be your suggestion for them moving forward? I would say this is your lucky day <laughs> because I, my new book, which you mentioned, Radical Rebirth, comes out this week. And it is, I mean, the book is how to kill off the old you and create a new you. And 
this is a book if you're facing down an addiction, if you find yourself in a lot of debt, if you feel like you're living somebody else's story or somebody else's life, not the one you wanted to live, if you don't feel like you're growing and, and you know, evolving as a person. So maybe some of you guys listening, you, you have a, you, like I did, my first few, you know, the idea is you, you create a radical rebirth. You kill off the old things, of, the things about your, you that you don't like and you replace them with things you want to become. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, to me, that's what, if you, anybody of conscious, you know, prosperity consciousness, you got to be recreating yourself all the time. You, you should be, it's, uh, in the book, I call it divine discontent. Meaning that you can live in gratitude for the things that are working in your life. I've got a beautiful marriage. I've got beautiful kids, whatever, but my health isn't good. Or I've got, a, a, you know, I'm really successful. I'm making $2 million a year, but my marriage sucks, right? You want to have all that stuff working, right? The holistic prosperity, your health, your mental harmony, your money and material things, uh, your spiritual nature, all of that, right? So, Sometimes, like for me, my first couple of rebirths were I had to kill off the old me, right? When you're in jail for armed robbery at 15, you, you think about your life. You realize, okay, I, I, I cannot live moving forward like this. I have to kill off that old me. So my first couple were that way. And then now when I'm, you know, my friends joke that, well, Randy's on his fourth midlife crisis now um, because I'm recreating myself all the time. But now instead of running away from that me that I hate, I've got to the point where I do love myself. I am comfortable in my own skin and I have the desire to do, have and become more. And that's really what the basis of the book is. So whether you you have that old you that you want to kill off, or you just like, hey, I'm doing pretty good, but I would like to become that a little higher version of myself, yeah. then that book will really, really help you. I feel it's the the culmination of all my life's work up to this point. And uh, I can't encourage people enough to read that book. Cause I think it really, really will make a difference for them. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I actually look forward to it. I'm going to buy a copy of it. Where can people find it if they're interested? Uh, Amazon has the paperback. I mean, sorry, the hardcover and the Kindle up. Um, the audio version won't be out for a couple of months. Um, so if you're in us, go to Amazon if you're overseas in an area that Amazon is not there, then you can go to randygage.com forward slash radical rebirth. Uh, so if you want to get a signed copy, you can order it there. Or if you, you know, in Bulgaria or somewhere that Amazon isn't shipping, uh, you can order it from my website. Okay. Well, thank you again for being here today. This has been an incredible show. Um, had a great time talking with you about this stuff. And I know that it's it's going to provide a ton of value to everyone who does listen to this. So thank you for your time. Well, thanks for having me on, Andy. Great to be with you. 
Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening to the Power Prosperity Podcast. Do me a favor and practice the circulation law of prosperity and tell people about Prosperity TV. So if you would, just put something up on your Tumblr, your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube. Uh, Let people know what you think of the Power Prosperity Podcast. Even take a screenshot of your phone and maybe post that picture uh, so we can build the community here at the podcast. Thanks, guys.